0: Hi everyone and welcome to our September 2018 podcast. This is our first episode of our Autumn Term and today we're going to be talking about a provocative documentary and an LGBT coming of age story. My name's Maria and I'm a film curator here at Interfilm and I'm joined today with my fellow film curator Michael and this is Interfilm Recommends. My name's Simon. For the most part my life is totally normal. I have a family that I actually like and there's my friends. We do everything friends do. We drink way too much iced coffee wor- gorging on carbs. So I'm just like you, except I have one huge-ass secret. Nobody knows I'm gay. <sighs> so as you hear in this clip, Simon is just a regular boy who's dealing with this really difficult secret. And throughout the film, we kind of see him deal with this situation and try to basically come out to his family and friends. When he ends up being blackmailed by a student in his school. Michael, why do you think the film has been such a success?
1: Well, Love, Simon, first of all, is the first really big studio film to address this issue and to have a teenage gay protagonist at its centre. And it follows on from a number of other big films looking at uh, diverse characters and stories, or things like Wonder Woman and Black Panther. And clearly it's struck a chord with audiences who are ready for this story and, and perhaps see a bit of themselves in it. So as you mentioned, it's about a teenage boy who is coming to terms with the fact that he's gay and he's trying to work up the courage to come out to his parents and his sister and his friends as well.
0: Yeah, and I think what's really great about the film is how accessible it is. So it's Certificate 12. I think we would recommend it to like an 11-plus audience. And there's a lot of different characters in the film that I think they can relate to. So there's... This kind of whole theme in the film around his friendship group and each of them have different character arches and you kind of get a lot of people to relate to in the film.
1: Yeah, so this is based on a novel from 2012 called Simon vs. the Homo Sapiens Agenda. It's a very popular young adult novel and you definitely get the sense that these are characters that have a a richness to them and a depth and have clearly been thought about in some detail by the author and i think actually his best friend in the film leah has her own sequel there's a another novel which looks at her story in a bit more detail which is nice to see and his his relationship with his friends is is indeed fascinating he's being blackmailed whilst struggling to come out and, and come to terms with his sexuality to, to some degree, but he acts quite irresponsibly and recklessly around his friends and to his friends as well. And so the film is asking us, and the novel asks us as well, to what extent we sympathise with Simon and to what extent he's in the right or the wrong. And I like, I like those shades of grey that, that it explores. I think that's a really nice discussion point for, for students to start with.
0: Yeah, and I think we can say that this is a really great film to discuss book-to-screen adaptation, particularly with discussing narration, but also how a film that was written a few years ago works now. So, for example, what I found really interesting was how Simon communicates to Blue, so the person that he ends up kind of having a romance with, through a blog, and... Obviously now, social media has moved completely and young people aren't necessarily using blogs to communicate with people that they go to school with. But it still feels like really refreshing in the film and you can still kind of get that excitement that these characters that feel quite isolated, they're able to find community and peer support.
1: Yeah, I think, right, the teenage and online worlds move so quickly that I wouldn't say it's become dated, but it is is a very interesting comparison to be made with the book and the film in that regard and just uh, also how the film adapts the book in other ways as well. I think it's a really well done adaptation actually. I really encourage people to read the book if they haven't. It's it's very uh, light and snappy and and an enjoyable read. We've got a clip from the film actually where uh, Simon talks about his name and I think this is um, a really interesting thing to discuss. Simon means the one who hears and Spear means the one who sees so you put that all together and i um, pretty sure that means I was just destined to be up in everybody's business. So as you hear in that clip, Simon discusses the meaning of his first name and his surname, that being the one who hears and the one who sees, and there's a sort of dramatic and comedic irony around this because he's being gagged by someone else, so he's not able to be his authentic self, he's not able to come out, or he doesn't feel like he's able to come out. And I think it's actually quite a fascinating look at that novels in particular, or films as well, you know, names aren't accidental or incidental, and that's quite a nice topic maybe to discuss around English literature with students about how character names are essential, and yeah, there are no accidents when it comes to character names.
0: Definitely, throughout the film, you get to see different perspectives of what it's like to deal with your sexuality. So Simon is friends... What's his name again? The other gay guy in the school.
1: Uh, Ethan?
0: Yeah, so I find his relationship with Ethan quite interesting because even though Simon knows that he has a really progressive family and apart from his dad, who does often make kind of really inappropriate jokes without knowing... That his son is gay.
1: Yeah, although um, I wouldn't say his dad is any less progressive. If he's more clumsy around Simon, I think.
0: Yeah, but I think Simon still feels like he should feel more comfortable with coming out. But it's still really hard for him. Especially when he sees how Ethan is experiencing um, bullying in school. But what's also great is that he finds a lot of inspiration from Ethan. Because he constantly stands up for himself. There's loads of like comedy scenes where... The bullies kind of they're
1: the joke of the film yeah ethan's a really interesting character because well firstly you've got this world about how this kid is really struggling to come out and yet we see quite clearly there's all there's already another out gay guy in the school and that feels like the story we would have been getting maybe 10 years ago or 15 20 years ago and all of a sudden now it's about this teenager that we're not necessarily expect for them to be the LGBT character so they're not the sidekick they're not the bit of comedy value they're they're a fully fleshed out character in themselves and you're right Ethan and Simon are very different people they live in very different circles and different worlds really but the film shows that there are commonalities between them and that yeah you know Simon Simon realizes that he um, his, his pressure about coming out is internalised essentially because he lives in quite a progressive school um, his friends he doesn't think will have a problem with it his family are going to be supportive but there's something still just about saying the words and having to admit it to the world that he isn't quite comfortable with or isn't right, quite ready to do yet
0: Yeah, what do you think about Blue? Because I think the film also questions audiences own perception of what being gay is, so throughout the film we're constantly questioning who is the other boy in school that's gay, who's the one that's messaging Simon. I just thought that was really interesting because it kind of throws it back to the audience and uh, questions our own attitudes, like even though there's two guys in the school, possibly three, and it kind of shows that we're in a more progressive type of school. It still shows that there's so much progress to be made.
1: Yeah, I think I think you're you're right, and it does sort of surprise you in terms of the type of person in inverted commas that it turns out to be blue. Without saying too much, it is a, it is a really nice reveal, I think, and it does make you question, you know, harmless or accidental prejudices. And I think the other really nice film that relationship does or represents is the fact that it's online and it's still seen to be authentic and by the end of the film they talk about being in love with each other and you know wanting to be in a relationship and at no point do we as an audience or any of the other characters say oh hold on this is a bit silly you don't know each other how could you possibly feel that way you know it's it's just as valid as an offline relationship and that seems like a really current prescient point to to, for the film to push yeah
0: exactly and i think we could both agree that there still needs to be way more representation in terms of kind of the breadth of sexualities that are depicted on screen. But I think with Love, Simon, like, it's still quite triumphant when you see Blue and Simon meet at the end of the film yeah. and when they kiss, and it's it's really strange that that still feels really refreshing and new. And I think um, you're also
1: wondering if the film is even... Even this film, as progressive as it seemingly is, you think well will we see a final shot of them looking at each other but not kissing each other because is that too much for this mainstream audience to take so that's a nice refreshing step you're right that it does things that constantly surprise you even if even if only a little bit
0: yeah and of course there was loads of um teenagers actually shared the stories about revealing their sexuality with their family and friends and i think That's really positive that a film can still have that impact on a young audience. Do you have any films that you'd recommend for more teenage audiences?
1: Yeah, um, it reminds me a little bit of a film called The Way He Looks, and I think that would be a nice one to follow up with because it's a Brazilian coming-of-age drama. It's really, really sweet, really warm. It's about a blind teenage boy who has a friendship with a girl, and they... Both kind of fall for the the new boy at school. It's very gentle. It's it's a really really lovely film and um, just a, a slightly more challenging in only in the sense that it's a foreign language fair, but it's 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 something I really recommend. I, I think it's a, a lovely match with Love Simon.
0: The film that I would recommend is actually part of the Interfilm Festival. So it's The Miseducation of Cameron Post, which is a film I guess takes the subject of sexuality and it's a lot darker because it's talking about conversion therapy which is a practice that usually targets young people and tries to change their sexuality or gender identity and I think the film's really exciting because even though it's about that it's also about the people that go to this conversion camp actually just being teenagers and kind of just having the double burden of trying to find out who they are, but also surprise their sexuality. So I definitely check that out.
1: Yeah, I think they're both great recommendations in different ways. We should just say Cameron Post is a little bit older, so that's for a 15, 16 plus audience. And the way he looks like Love, Simon is 11 plus and 12 certificate. Okay, so let's move on to our second film of the podcast, which is The Rip of Recy Taylor. <laughs>
0: December 27th, 1944, supplemental report regarding the alleged ravishing of Reese Taylor, Abbeville, Alabama, by seven white boys on the night of September 3rd. Report submitted by John
1: O. Harris, Assistant Attorney General. So, The Rape of Reese Taylor is a 15 certificate documentary. We have it as 16 plus and that's because of descriptions of sexual violence as cited by the bbfc this is an f-rated documentary meaning that it's directed uh, made by a woman and it's about a quest for justice after a african american woman is raped in 1944 alabama by six white boys now there's a bit of text at the very beginning of the film which i won't read word for word but talks about how a number of black women were raped over, um, well, across the US's past as a whole, um, but only a few of them ever spoke up. And it talks about the process of the film, so it cites race films, which are films made mostly by black filmmakers with black casts for black audiences, and how it uses those films alongside vintage footage and home movies to tell Resey Taylor's story. So, Maria, do you want to talk a little bit about how how those films, how those things, sorry, combine in this documentary and how the style and the format comes together.
0: Yeah, so first of all, what I would say is that the reason a lot of these women never spoke up about what happened to them, it was purely because of racism, because the states that they lived in were still under segregation law. So like Reese Taylor, they would have had a lot of problems and barriers to even tell their stories. So even when these stories went to court they would be dismissed or people would go to prison for a really short amount of time and I think we'll discuss later on exactly why black women weren't believed when they would talk about um, their experiences. Secondly, what this beginning does is ask the audience what is the history that they know. And what are the other histories that we don't know about? And the film isn't saying that these are alternate histories. It says that this history has always been there by stating that black filmmakers, black artists and activists have always been writing and directing these stories. So they are there for us
1: to use. For whatever reason, we haven't heard them and they haven't permeated the mainstream, I guess.
0: Yeah, I think it's a question of why these stories are not in the mainstream, but also why they're not in our education and in libraries. But I think the film, even though it's about something really awful that happened and has had a huge impact on society as a whole, on a global scale, I think it's a really exciting film as well for students because it kind of encourages them to think of history as alive and to go to archives and museums and talk to people locally and just learn about the stories, uh, the cultural stories that are around them. So I think it's really exciting in that way.
1: Yes, there are always stories, there are stories out there that we want to know about and and that can be sought out. And certainly every time I um, watch a, whether it's a fictional biopic or a, a documentary about a person's life, particularly someone like this, I always think, I can't believe that I didn't know anything about that beforehand and, and it sort of confuses me. I don't know if it's my own ignorance or if it's, as you say, something a bit more widespread. One of the fascinating things that I thought the documentary did is um, the story of Rosa Parks is heavily involved in this case, so she attempts to bring justice to the boys who have sexually assaulted Recy Taylor and um, she's talked a lot about in this film and it just it just served as a real reminder to me that Rosa Parks is not just somebody who should be associated with one moment in her life or one story she was an activist way beyond that and and as you've said to me previously as well beyond all of that she was you know a woman a living woman that again is sort of forgotten and and consigned to the history books a little bit.
0: And the film clearly, it fits really well with Black History Month, if that's something that your school's taking a part in. But yeah, I think what to me stood out about the film was how it uses Rosa Parks as a reference that most people will know about and relates it back to kind of things that are happening now. So it's kind of inevitable to not discuss um, the Me Too movement. And it kind of opens this up and tries to relate civil rights and anti-racist work to kind of protest against sexism and how black women have always been involved in that movement. And in this clip that we're just about to listen to, one of the historian discusses the specific type of sexism experienced by black women and how that has a history in slavery. The attitudes of the treatment of black women was the same as it was on the plantation. I don't think the uh, uh, with the rape case of uh, Anne Reese was that unusual because, first of all, they did not regard black people as humans, first of all. This goes back to the plantation. We were animals, uh, monkeys, and so they felt that uh, we were really not human beings. So this attitude transcended from the plantation even to... Uh, to See,
1: so yeah, it talks a lot there about a special kind of erasure of black women from history, I guess you could categorize it as. Another aspect which is kind of linked to that that I, I thought was um, really interesting in the documentary was that of the black press and the role of the media in helping to get this story out there. Somebody one of the contributors remarks at one point that the the pen is a weapon, which is a great line to discuss with your students, I think. But it's, it's something, again, I hadn't considered, and, and there are certain newspapers and other outlets talked about in this documentary, which were the only outlets that Risa that Taylor and other people had to go to in an age without social media or technology or, or even the same you know, rights and accessibilities afforded to them as, as white people.
0: Yeah, there's a really um, actually lovely bit in the film which has loads of photos of the black women who formed this committee to bring justice to Reese Taylor and one of the historian talks about how they would constantly write on little postcard notes and send them to the court Mm. to kind of get them to never forget what was happening. And even though we do find out near the end of the film that Reese Taylor never actually um, received justice for what happened to her and neither did her family, I think they only received an apology in 2011 from the Alabama state. But I think it's really encouraging about what you can do. And I think for a lot of people, activism is just going to protest and kind of being in parliament. But... It can just be sending something to court.
1: <laughs> yeah, there's so so much more than that that can be done in big ways or small, I guess. So, as you could probably hear there, there are so many different ways of using this film or different areas to explore around politics and, and law and citizenship and history. And we mentioned a bit about the media as well. Just one thing I want to explicitly talk about is film studies angle. So, I mentioned at the very beginning how... This is a blending of different styles and forms. So we've got archive footage, we've got these race films, we have modern testimony. Sometimes we see the speakers talking, sometimes it's voiceover. We've got music and other audio aspects which often dominate the the screen and the sound and, and sometimes it's hard to make out what people are saying because that music's so loud. It's just a fascinating mixture and montage really of, of different Uh, influences, I think. And that's a really good starting point or discussion point for talking about documentaries as a whole, because this certainly isn't a traditional documentary. It's still accessible, but it's not a traditional documentary in terms of the way it's presented. Do you think that's fair?
0: Yeah, I think it merges what we think to be traditional in that it has talking heads, kind of uses music from the era to set up the times. But yeah, I found it sometimes quite difficult to follow. And I think that is the point of the film. It's kind of asking you, how would you look back at a moment in history that is kind of so painful mm. for the people within the film? And I think it captures that really well. I think what I would say as well is that the film's really great to talk about English literature and looking at other texts um, that discuss the segregation era, but also to discuss things like the suffragette movement here in the UK. Again, I think it's a great way to open up discussion on what other things were happening globally and think about what other stories we can find here in the UK.
1: And in terms of worldwide movements as well, you wanted to recommend a film about the civil rights movement, is that right?
0: Yes. so I'd really recommend a film called Selma, by the director Ava Devonnet, and the film is about Martin Luther King, which obviously we all know loads about, or at least most people do, but the film depicts him as also a family figure, and also the positive and negative aspects of his character, and I think it just brings uh, that side of history to life, and also introduces us to other people that we might not know about.
1: Yeah, it's a really powerful film. And uh, I'd just like to recommend another documentary, which is I Am Not Your Negro, which looks at the black experience in the US over years and decades. It's James Baldwin's words narrated by Samuel L. Jackson, and it looks at Baldwin's relationship with Malcolm X and Martin Luther King. And it's a really, really interesting blend, again, of archive footage and classic films, and a really uh, suitable comparison, I think, for... Reece Taylor.
0: So we'd like to mention that Reece Taylor is showing in London, Cardiff, Birmingham and Belfast as part of the Interfilm Festival and Love Simon will also have a lot of screenings. There will be autism-friendly screenings all over the UK and there's going to be really great industry events alongside these two films.
1: Yeah and if you can't uh, attend for whatever reason then you can order both films off our catalogue uh, if you have a Film Club account. Both will have film guides as well by the time of our festival and there's also a blog on Love, Simon called Love, Simon, a Game Changer for Gay Representation in Teen Cinema.
0: So that's all for now. We will be back in October with another podcast.
1: Or you can check out our primary podcast on A Wrinkle in Time which is by Selma director Ava DuVernay. <laughs>